this is Legal Design Podcast, and we are your hosts, Mina Toivonen and Henna Tolvanen. In this episode, we meet with Hannele Korhonen, the founder and legal designer at Lawyers Design School. We talk about the need for legal design education, and Hannele shares the story and pedagogical philosophy behind Lawyers Design School. In addition, we discuss the meaning and importance of curiosity in design thinking. Earlier this fall, we collaborated with Hannele organizing an event called Sustainable Futures by Legal Design, where participants could combine legal design with futures thinking. We share our thoughts about the event and broad sustainability and how legal design can be applied when designing for better futures. Welcome to Legal Design Podcast, Hannele. How are you doing? Thank you. I am doing well. And uh, thank you so much for, for having me here. been a loyal, loyal listener to your, your podcast <laughs> since the day one. Thank it's you. great to have you. Welcome. So, Hannele, how would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, I'm, I am Hannele Korhonen, and I'm a um, lawyer. I struggle with a long time, should I add the X part to the, to the beginning, but I'm a lawyer, and I'm a legal designer, and I'm a teacher. And I'm a founder at the Lawyers Design School. Um, we would like to hear how your journey in legal design initially began and how you ended up having the Lawyers Designs Design School, which is a great uh, project. I guess my journey with design started around 10 years ago when I left the corporate law and, and started my own law firm. And then I started designing all kinds of things my legal services and the business model contracts and content and digital services also. And uh, that was uh, the time that I took the first course on service design. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think that the term service design was used that much at the time. And I think that I heard the term legal design for the first time around maybe five years ago. So 2016, it was mm-hmm. the aftermath of the first legal design summit which uh, sadly I didn't attend. But then, then when I heard the term, I started digging, it, digging into it more. And at that time, we had just co-founded the legal tech company, Contract Mill. Mm-hmm. And we started to apply design principles in the legal technology as well. Yeah, so in a way, uh, you had kind of discovered the ways to improve the legal industry even before you had heard the legal design term or the concept. Yeah, in a way, I, I felt when I, when I, when I heard the, the concept and, and, I, and I understood what it was, I felt like it gave a name to so mm-hmm. many things that I had been doing. And I was definitely hungry for more. Exactly. And quite a lot of people actually say that they have been applying legal design and design thinking without knowing the term that or there is actually something called legal design. Exactly. But they've always been human-centric and customer-centric. Yeah, maybe tell us that this um, human-centric way to approach things, it's something very natural, actually, we people have. And now that we have a name for it, it can we can start to have put more focus on, on those topics of mm. how design exactly. can change law. I think law school kind of messes us up mm-hmm. and takes us um, too far from the human-centrism even though I think it's built within everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all humans. 
we tend to like other people and other humans. Yeah. But then when you go to law school, you just read books and books and books, and it's all about law. And, and the it's system. easy yeah. to forget. Yeah, it's easy to forget that there is the client and there is the human behind everything. Yeah, so many, so many uh, young people go to law school with the. They are thinking that they want to help people and they want to want to use the law to help the people, but then somehow that the human human aspect of it all kind of disappears, which is really sad. Exactly. But then, uh, if I continue on the how how I came up with the lawyers design school, um, uh, two years ago I then made a decision to kind of go all in in legal design, and I changed my business into legal design consultancy. But then when I started to design the business itself and, and started to interview the potential customers, meaning lawyers, uh, I kept hearing the message that the lawyers actually don't want to buy legal design as consultancy, but they want to learn themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that pretty, pretty interesting insight, I created the first prototype of the school in spring 2020 and started experimenting my way into the new space of teaching legal design and from that first prototype I've continued to design the the concept further that's really interesting and um just recently together well legal design podcast and your lawyers design school we organized an event combining futures thinking and legal design and wanted to help people imagine better futures but also to teach them how legal design can help in that and um, Hannele, if I understood correctly, you have combined Citrus Futures Thinking Workshop with legal design also before this November event. How did you get the idea of combining Futures Thinking with legal design? Yeah, first, first of all, it's such a great experience to do that event together. Um, I think that... Yes, it was. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I think that Futures Thinking and legal design have so much in common. Because legal design is also very much future-oriented. We, we design for the better future. And it's just that our perspective is usually not very far in the future. And yeah. with law, I think that we need both. We need the short-term improvements, but we also need the, the long-term bigger transformation. And when I got introduced to, to futures thinking by Citra, I, I realized that we in law don't really talk about the future that much. We talk about the current situation and the restrict the restrictions we have at the moment but what is missing are the visions of the desired futures and this is where I think that futures thinking and legal design can really work together we can design the way we want the law and and legal design to be in the futures yeah that's a great point because well uh if we think of law and legislation traditionally it's reacting to something instead of like looking further and creating better futures uh, but this um, as a lawyer and coming from the legal industry sometimes I think that um, when we think about sustainability within law we somehow automatically think compliance but um, as we know compliance doesn't necessarily look beyond law and it only makes sure that you are compliant at the moment. Um, how could we change the lawyer's mindset that in order to reach sustainability, we really need to start looking, 
looking beyond the legislation and actually look further uh, instead of just making sure that we meet the requirements at the moment. That is a million dollar question right there. <laughs> How to change the lawyer's mindset. And I think that you're right that it's about changing the mindsets and also the culture of our profession to yeah. start looking beyond the legislation and, and compliance to realize that we do not need to be bound by the regulations, but we can change the, the regulations as well if they, they are not enabling the, the sustainable development. I think looking from from pedagogical point of view, I would say that one effective answer to change the mindsets is really education uh, because change on the individual level is, is about learning. It's about unlearning the, the unhealthy or undesired ways and then learning new ones. And what I think that the worship, our event uh, confirmed that people need meaningful conversations with other people around these topics. Yeah, I really like that idea of education being uh, some sort of a starting point or something to focus on when, when, when wanting to create an impact. And the idea of the workshop we are, uh, organized was actually also to, uh, by using the method of um, education to test a combination of legal design and future thinking methods in the context of sustainability and, and bring together people from different parts of the world to kind of run this test with us. And I'm sure we all think that this could be the formula for tackling wicked problems like climate change. But uh, the problem is that there doesn't seem to be like enough general awareness about, about legal design or futures thinking. And it feels like it requires so much of this groundwork, like uh, bringing up the awareness so that it just feels very frustrating and, and um, it, that it's going to take so much time. Um, what kind of feelings were you, you, you had when you, when you left the event? I, I think that I was optimistic. Because mm-hmm. I, I felt uh, it was a good start and very, really encouraging ex- experience and also experiment. Because that's what I think that we set out to do, that we will try, try this out and see what's the, what's the feedback and what's the outcome. And when I think that it really confirmed um, both in the event and also the discussions around that before and after is that people in legal space are really interested and want to take action. People are asking, what can I do? What can I do to, to uh, help and, and to, uh, for example, to prevent the climate change? And I think that we should definitely continue the work uh, onwards. And what I mostly enjoyed about the event was the, that the people coming together all over the world and ready to throw themselves into the workshop mode and I think that we also saw some very concrete actions after the workshop, mm. like people starting to use the, the Compensate app, for example, yeah, to follow that their was, that was great. carbon footprint. Yeah. But I think that one, one concrete thing, if we think about what we can really do to make an impact, I think it relates, this question relates to time, because we are all so busy all the time that we don't have the time, even though we would want to do something. And what it comes down to is that we need to organize time for ourselves to work uh, towards the sustainable goals, because we Mm -hmm. all have unique skills and uh, talents that we can use, but we just need to find the time and opportunities 
whether it's in our current work role or in our personal life, or if we if we want to cooperate with some good initiatives or NGOs. And I, for example, myself, I have dedicated a certain percentage of my working hours for sustainability mm, to initiate oh, really? or or participate in sustainability projects. And this, this event was one example of, oh. of this commitment. Yeah, do you want to tell uh, more about that? That sounds interesting. I've never heard before that somebody uh, would do that or like really like uh, consciously planning uh, that. Yeah, that was that was kind of because when I when I think about what can I do, I, I, as I said, I need to organize time for it because if I don't have time, then I will certainly not do anything about mm-hmm. it. But this this event was was one of the examples, and then I've um, I've done, for example, one uh, project together with uh, Plan International mm-hmm. uh, to help immigrant girls to to widen their career possibilities in Finland. So it's really about uh, kind of taking contacts and and getting ideas and and being really deliberate about how to use your time. But that's great. Imagine if everybody did that. Like mm. kind of dedicated certain percentage of their time to the common good, um, like in a very concrete way. Then mm. what could happen? Anything could happen. That's that's actually something that we all could do next. <laughs> yeah, and I mm. I think it's comforting to know that you can actually do things. You just have to make time to do them instead mm. of just like watching the world go all the wrong ways you can yeah. stop that yeah that's really nice actually to hear that it matters even one person matters you can do a lot of things and uh it was good that you mentioned that we all have different skills we can find ways to use them for good i mean you can be a lawyer during the day but then it Like after hours, you can save the world. Yeah, climate <laughs> activists at night. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk more about the lawyers' design school. First of all, what is the pedagogical philosophy behind it? What do you, Hanela, think? What should lawyers learn when they join your workshops, and why do you think it's important? Oh, the pedagogy. <laughs> I love this topic so much. I can yeah. talk about that that for hours. So please, please stop me when you when you when you get bored. Um, but yeah, the, the I was really lucky uh, when when I started started the uh, lawyers design school back in 2020. I actually started uh, pedagogical studies at the same time, and I was able to use uh, that pedagogical kind of qualification. Uh, Or, or the foundation when I was building the school and and developing the concepts and and the methods and all that, uh, so so the pedagogy has a really really crucial uh, part part in the whole whole concept, and the the whole school is based on few cornerstones. Uh, the first cornerstone is empowerment, so that the goal of the the workshops is to empower the lawyers to get their own insight around legal design and how it's relevant for them and their own people or community. And the target is to find ways to use legal design in, in lawyers' everyday work to, to really have true impact. And what this means in practice is that the workshop is not about 
me as a teacher giving any ready-made answers, but we discuss and, and solve the problems and, and do exercises together. And the learning is something that happens in each participant. Mm. And uh, one effective tool for the empowerment is to, to kind of create the safe space for learning. Because uh, and it's about acknowledging that, that all participants are welcome to the workshop just the way they are, whether they are stressed or annoyed or indifferent or skeptics for, for legal design or whatever. And we just set some ground rules for the dialogue and respectful interaction. And also that mistakes are gifts that teach us more because lawyers for lawyers, it's sometimes pretty hard not to be perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, how... I mean, is it hard to make lawyers understand that it's okay to make mistakes? Or have you seen that when people come to the workshop, they are ready to make mistakes? Or are they still a bit afraid of making them and thinking like lawyers usually think? (laughs) It depends so much. I've had many many different kinds of groups and sometimes it's it's very easy that like it's like like this whole creating a safe space is like yeah yeah <laughs> go on we we know this stuff already <laughs> and then with some some other groups there can be some cultural like the internal culture can be like there is part there there's partners and then there are the associates and are they allowed to really kind of suggest new ideas or or are they waiting for the for the superiors to come up with the new ideas and then they, then they are just mm-hmm. yeah yeah it sounds good yeah uh, but uh, but that's why that's why it's even more important in those kind of situations kind of facilitate the the um, the empowerment part so that everybody is equal in those workshops and, and everybody can come up with good ideas and and they have value uh, valuable input to give for the discussion I've learned, uh, heard this um, saying about adult education that when you are educating or teaching for adults, is actually, it's actually more about teach, teaching them how to learn away from certain habits or beliefs mm-hmm. instead of like teaching new stuff to them. Uh, do you think it's true? How do you see it in your workshops? Maybe, and maybe it's about, maybe it's about. Uh, because adults and, and, and lawyers may think that they already they have the expert position and, and are they kind of willing to, to put themselves into a situation, complete, completely new situation where you don't know what's the outcome going to be and if I'm going to be any good at this. And, and uh, so it's kind of unlearning those uh, kind of, um, what, what, what could I call them, kind of, that prohibits you from from being open mm. to, to new new stuff yeah yeah that's actually uh, super interesting that it's I mean we're learning new but we're unlearning the old habits that prevents us to do certain things yeah exactly. can be even harder <laughs> yeah yeah exactly because I mean you spend I don't know, 20 years, 30 years doing something in a certain way. And then all, all of a sudden there's something new that you have to like make room in your mind. Mm. But that's kind of, that actually brings, brings me to the second, uh, second kind of uh, principle or cornerstone in the, 
in the school because it's about learn, learning by doing. So you come uh, kind of get out of your head and, and start doing with your hands and with design because you cannot really learn design without doing it uh, in practice. And you can hear all about the recent research and see brilliant examples of how others have done it. But if you don't get to practice yourself, you don't learn because design is essentially a craft. And, uh, and I, what I've found that lawyers need to understand both the kind of the what of legal design, so the basic concepts and the why, why it works, why, why it's important, but also the how in very concrete level and how it relates to their their, their own work. So we've created very simple how-to exercises like one, two, three instructions and tools that the lawyers can first practice and then take into their, their own work. Lawyers are super intelligent, but they are chronically busy and, and they can also get very skeptic for the new stuff. So these easy exercises make the design much more approachable for them. And then... Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Mm. <laughs> And then also that um, one, one important principle is that the learning is social. People learn better when they are together in interaction with each other and they discuss and they get also feedback. They are all essential pieces to the learning. And this is one reason for why, for example, the completely self-paced independent courses are not that effective for learning because they are missing the, the social element. And that is, that is what I try to facilitate in the, in the Lawyers Design School's workshops. Exactly. And when you have um, people around you while you're learning, I think it's easier, at least for me, to concentrate. Because if I take some courses by myself, I mean, I concentrate for the first 10 minutes and then I start to click on other stuff or write emails. And yeah. I lost, uh, I lost the momentum of learning, actually. Yeah, that's so interesting. Even though if you were really interested in the topic, you start doing that anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it can be something super interesting like legal mm. design or mm. legal tech or whatever. Mm. But then it's hard to concentrate when you're just by yourself. Exactly. Hey, uh, if we talk more about the educational side of legal design... I think it's quite interesting that, I mean, at least now, most law, school, most law schools, they surely don't offer legal design in their curriculums. There are a few and that is great. But um, it seems that people learn legal design outside the law school and usually after graduation. And to me, this doesn't seem sustainable because there are still only a few service providers and not in every country this is possible, and even money might be an issue for some organizations and some lawyers. And in order to make legal design mainstream, we would need more education around it. So Hannele, from your point of view, what will it take for law schools to start offering courses in legal design, and when will this happen? Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is so true. And I'm, oh. I'm also waiting for it to happen. Yeah. I've been talking to law schools that do offer legal design courses with really great results. And, and it has bothered me so much that it's still so rare to see legal design in, in law schools. And uh, as we, uh, 
already uh, talked about that, that for a bigger impact, we need lawyers learning human-friendly and kind of designerly ways to approach the law and, and problem solving from the very from the very beginning. And it doesn't make sense that that lawyers continue to do what lawyers have always done, and then we hire designers to fix certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose to really make this happen to get get the get the teaching to to more law schools i i think it will take the right people to take this forward kind of the bold doers that will sell the idea for the faculties and then start the courses and this is the story for example from i i spoke to tanya lehman in in flinders law school in australia and also we know cat moon in in vanderbilt law school in the us so there are super inspiring examples. Of course, there are many more, but I've, I've spoken to, to these ladies and it was so, so interesting to hear, hear how they, they got the idea to the, to the university. So uh, how did you, Hannele, learn legal design? Of course, um, we can say that design uh, is a field where you learn something new all the time and learning in general is a never-ending process. But... Can you name or define like what what's the content or or experiences that form the basis of your legal design proficiency today? Or what should be like the legal design skills and, and the knowledge in general for anyone who wants to call him or herself a legal designer? Well, as I, as I mentioned, I started with service design and then I went into learning UX design and design thinking and plain language and most recently information design. So I've been taking a lot of courses in in various areas of design and then applying that into into the law practice and and the business that I have been running at a time. And uh, I've been following many heroes in the journey like Margaret Hagen or Helena Harpy or Stefania Passera and Rob Waller. so I have collected the knowledge from many different sources and took so many courses. But uh, I think that in the end, it's all about starting to do design in practice. And uh, for, a long, for a long time, I felt like such a fraud when I didn't have a degree in design, like an official or formal degree. I just have a, bun- a bunch of, of courses and a lot of studies. But uh, I decided that I, I just keep going anyway and experimenting how the design process and the tools would work for real life projects and then just keep getting the information and theory and, and all that uh, uh, on the side. And I think that my, my learning has been that you don't really have to wait for anyone's permission to, to mm-hmm. start doing legal design. You just start. Yeah. First, you can start with the tiniest projects and then just move forward. But I think that I, I, I've heard so, from so many people that I would like to do this and I would like to somehow somehow get, get action in, in legal design. And I just say that, just do it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't wait for, for anybody to tell you that it's okay to start. Yeah, exactly. And and skills and and abilities you 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 just have them or you don't have them it's not about the certificate on your your Mm. wall that kind of guarantees that you can really do it you have to make sure yourself that you you are like uh keeping up the process of learning 
Exactly. And you are the only person who can make a difference in your career and your life. True. Hey, Hannele, I follow you on social media and <laughs> um, you talk a lot about curiosity. And for example, Kat Moon and Nora Alhaider mentions curiosity also quite often. Um, what does curiosity have to do with legal design? I call curiosity as the kind of gentle little sister to, to creativity, because sometimes we can get very scared of the big words like creativity and innovation. Like I'm not creative or I'm not innovative, but curiosity is where it all starts. You get curious and, and you start seeing the default in a different way. And I think that if you approach things with curiosity, you can learn new things and find find out new information and insight. So, yeah, I think that curiosity is super important for, for legal design in practice. And, um, well, it sounds like curiosity is in general is important in design thinking. Um, Should we focus our curiosity on legal issues or is overall curiosity important too? I mean, does it help my legal career that I'm curious, let's say, about the Baltic Sea and how, how we can um, keep it healthy or I'm curious about other cultures or curious about winter swimming? Definitely, I think that the, the overall, overall curiosity is important because I think that for me, the curiosity is a way to see the world and not just when thinking about the legal issues. And, and you can get so much, so much um, kind of food for thought when you when you approach the whole world with curiosity and you can you can get some some uh, inputs to your even to your lawyer's work just following following and, and be keeping your eyes open when you walk around the world exactly and I think you never actually know um, what will make a difference I mean if exactly. you're curious about basically everything there is always something that you can relate with your work mm, exactly yeah and curiosity can be learned Yeah, it's like a muscle that that when you when you keep keep using it more and more, or or actually paying attention to it more and more, then the, it gets stronger. Yeah, and the same with creativity because I think we we tend to think that you either are creative or you are not, but it's often forgotten that it's something that you can actually learn. Yes. Yeah, it's time to wrap up our conversation and ask the last question. Hannele, what do you wish to happen next in the legal design movement? Where in the law should people focus their creative energy and curiosity? Mm, that's, you have to decide. That's, a good that's, a good, that's a good one. I think that um, the legal design movement, uh, I loved what, what uh, Michael Doherty said. Uh, he said something like, it starts it's time that we start talking about the quality of the legal design, kind of what makes mm. good and what makes bad design and how to get there rather than staying on the level of where we wonder whether legal design even is a thing or who is allowed to do it or call the work design so we could move on uh, with the discussion. 
and uh, because after all it's it's not really the words that count whether we call something with the d word or not and i think it's the impact and the change we want to achieve in the world with legal design yeah well said thank you hannele for being our guest thank you so much for visiting us this has been great thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Legal Design Podcast. This episode was the season finale of Legal Design Podcast. Your support during this first year of podcasting has kept us going strong. We'll be back with new episodes in February. Happy holidays and happy new year. Mm-hmm.